0: It's episode 402, and today we chat with Evo Pro Founder PJ Nolan. Let's cue that intro. The big question is this: how do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Roadman, welcome back to today's edition of the Roadman Cycling Podcast. It is episode 402. To give some context to today's discussion, especially for those international listeners who won't have been privy to the media saga that's been playing out in Irish mainstream media over the last 12 months, this podcast is with the founder of Evo Pro Cycling, PJ Nolan. He also happens to be the former president of Cycling Ireland. And He's here to address a controversy, and the controversy revolves around a proposed deal between our national governing body, Cycling Ireland, and Ireland's only professional cycling team, Evo Pro Cycling. A few months ago, it was proposed that Cycling Ireland would come in with quite a lucrative sponsorship package to be the title sponsor for evo pro cycling this deal was much celebrated in irish cycling circles looking like it secured the future of evo pro cycling but also gave a pipeline to develop irish riders on an international stage the deal was subsequently pulled and since then it has just been a total shit show. so on cycling ireland side we have false grant applications which have been going in there's a parliamentary inquiry into that we've had high profile resignations we have defamation cases and then on Evo Pro's side now there's allegations of unpaid wages the deal has fallen apart because of alleged bias and there's even mention of the former disgraced chief executive of the Irish Football Association of Ireland John Delaney being involved it is a crazy story that you know it's one of the ones that you could go and make a movie out of this but on both sides of the chasm Cycling Ireland and Evo Pro it should be noted that there is really good people who care so much about Irish cycling and the future of Irish riders on an international scene. And PJ is one of those really good actors, so I'm so pleased to be sitting down to chat with PJ today. If you listen to this conversation and you feel that PJ's dream, PJ's vision for a team has merged, and it's something that you want to support, I've left a link to a GoFundMe campaign, which Evo Pro are running. Since Cycling Arnold have pulled out as their title sponsor, they've been forced to go to the public to support their dream of keeping Evo Pro Cycling going for next year. They've gone to the public, and the link for that uh, GoFundMe campaign, it's over on our show notes page, which is roadmancycling.com forward slash episodes forward slash Evo. So that's roadmancycling.com forward slash episodes forward slash Evo, and you can donate over there. Also, I have, in the interests of fairness and balance, I have reached out to Cyclone Ireland to put their side of the story forward. So maybe this is the first of a two-part special, and I'll bring you this part two next week. I will confirm that with you guys during the week. One point to note before I dive into the interview with PJ is the sound quality isn't what I would hope for in this interview. ...due to various logistical and infrastructural issues on PJ's end... ...we were unable to secure a solid internet connection for this interview... ...so it's the first time we've ever conducted a feature-length interview as a phone interview. Having reviewed the audio, had some sound engineers work on it... ...I feel it's at a level that the main point of the podcast gets across... ...and it's a point that I didn't want to lose because it's a valuable discussion... With all those caveats noted, Roadman, I am so pleased to welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast former president of Cycling Ireland and founder of Evo Pro Cycling, Mister PJ Nolan.
1: Yeah, great to be here,
0: Anto. Yeah, uh, thanks for joining me, PJ. You're you're a man who's in the news, or at least Evo Pro are in the news quite a lot lately.
1: Yeah, it seems so. It seems that we have become. Uh, Uh, a favourite talking point in Irish (laughs) cycling.
0: And I think, you know what, we've a lot of international listeners as well, but I think the story is a brilliant story and it's something that everybody's going to get a lot out of. So rather than diving straight into, you know, what is the contentious talking points and is making national headlines at the moment, can I just reverse it a little bit? When you and Morgan Fox decided you wanted to set up an Irish continental cycling team, what was the vision for that?
1: Well, it, it went back a couple of years earlier than that. We had a couple of amateur teams and a uh, camera and, you know, we had a Planet X team and, like, we always had a an idea that you know, we'd like to help Irish cyclists. Now, this wasn't really original. We did it in 2003 as well. We set up a kind of a Belgian house where Irish amateurs could go over there and race. When I was president of Cycling Ireland, we did it. Morgan helped me out a lot in that. And I remember Dolores Social was involved as well. They went over and swapped the house. And actually, Eugene Moriarty was the first person who looked after. But that whole thing morphed into the Kelly team with Kurt Bogart and Sean kelly it became the the uh, on post team and all of that, and that went on for a number of years. And a good team it was too, and it gave some uh, a um, a chance. But it wasn't really what we had in mind, you know. But anyway, um, having said that, you know, it was really worthwhile, um, and it helped a lot of people, including Sam Bennett and Ryan Mullen, on their way. So uh, it was it, it was great. But we decided then we were involved. Uh, with a team that went to the uh, Qinghai Lake. It was a whole other team. We thought we could do a better job because Morgan, well, he speaks a heap of languages, even though he's deaf. And um, <laughs> uh, we had yeah, we had a lot of, of uh, contacts in Belgium from his racing days. And he was always a popular fellow over there because he won a lot of races over there as, as an amateur. And then he turned pro. And, um, you know, he was, he was a good rider over there. And... Uh, I, I raced in Belgium too, forty two years ago. Good God, aging I mean,
0: yourself there, uh, PJ. Yeah,
1: honestly, God, oh listen. I'm really ancient, and um, but uh, I always liked the place, and I always thought it was very convenient and very good for racing. So we started. We talked about evil problem. We started it up in, in uh, twenty nineteen, and uh, you know, it's it's been going for three years now. It's always been a struggle. Uh, to keep it going because go, running the continental team is is, is not cheap, and uh, we've mostly done it. Well, we've virtually done it from our own resources and and uh, uh, friends helping us out, and it's been you know the, in the main it's been very positive And we, have you see, I saw you. I mean, you raced at that level, and so you know what I'm talking about. It's very very rare atmosphere. I mean, the best amateurs go to that level and they find out. For one reason or another, most of them uh, find out that after a couple of years, either it's not for them, the commitment is not for them, or they find they get injured, or a whole heap of stuff, or they get other opportunities. And the majority of fellas who come to our team, uh, like as in any team, they don't make it up that much higher. Having said that, like if you look at Harry Sweeney went to Lotto Soudal, Shane Archibald's career, he said, was over, and we said, no, have a, have a go. So he he came to us, and he rode um, half a season, and then off he went to um and Aura, and he, he's doing great. Look, life and isn't easy R&D. at
0: continental level. Like, it's, I'd often oh, compare it to, for people that aren't listening. Like, my dad's the chairman of the local football team in Clontarf, and a lot of the time, you know, teams are head to, held together with a little bit of spit and glue and a donation here that, you know, maybe it isn't on book or, you know, it's not accounted for at the end of the year. And I know from chatting to my mom now, and obviously I'm, I'm grown up and have more of an insight into their, you know, financial history. But my mom was saying at times my dad would, you know, uh, he'd sell jerseys or he'd sell tracksuits to the team and he'd take that money And that money would have to go and pay the mortgage because he would have spent the mortgage money two weeks earlier on paying the ref's fee for the year. And it's just, it was this constant, you know, just spitting glue holding the whole club together. But, you know, we're blessed in Clontarf now that we have a local football team here that has, you know, 65 teams. And it's largely off the back of, you know, a little bit of shaking and baking from when it was getting started.
1: And yeah, it is tough and... uh... I think we met every bandit under the sun and there was one guy who took us for a lot of money. He was supposed to do our logistics and he didn't do it and we gave him money to do it but it didn't happen. Then I met... (laughs) I met the greatest bunch of bandits on the planet. Uh, I met one outfit that was promising us a big lot of money over three years but we had to uh, uh, pay them a fee first and uh, we didn't fall for it but uh, another Continental team fell for it and they went by the wayside because they got... Somebody's right. so it's it's a uh, you know it's a tough environment out
0: there. It's a tough environment, and largely it's run by people who take no wages, and they're doing it for. And this is what strikes me with this story, and it's why I wanted to cover it, even though it's you know it is a local domestic story, and my audience on the podcast is very international. It's a, it's, a, it's a it's a romantic story. It's a story of you know, people who love cycling and some of the stuff we're going to get into that I don't fully agree with and, you know, I will challenge you and I'll push you on some of that stuff but at its core, I think this is a story of volunteers who love cycling and are looking to give better opportunities to Irish riders.
1: Well, I can see that there's an integrated pathway for Irish riders to make it. There hasn't been one. There's been some track racing but, if you look at what uh, other countries and other teams are doing, they are actually feeding into various different teams. It's happened with like uh, some of the big continental teams do it, like uh, Bora have a development squad, um, UAE have a, a lot of them have, but, uh and uh, the Australian Federation have a, uh, have had a gig in Italy uh, going for many many years, and uh, GB plays riders into various different teams. So. Uh, I mean, even if you're looking purely at the track, they will tell you, uh, like Aaron Gates is an Olympic medalist, and had, he was on our team in 2019 and won a lot of race, class by, by the lovely fellow as well. He will tell you that the New Zealanders only come off the road for a short periods of time before World Cups on the track, because they need this massive, massive endurance. And uh, signs on us, the teams that did well in the last Olympics were all oh, you know, ex road riders, not, a, not current road riders you who know, are riding on pro concierge uh, world tour teams and they come in and they slot in after this massive, massive load of endurance that they have and then they can ride at the top level. Whereas if you just concentrate on track and ride, you know, 1.2 races and 2.2 races and, you know, you don't get get that heavy, heavy duty. Like the, if you take the Madison in. Tokyo was running at over fifty eight K an hour. That's yeah. that's phenomenal. You know, and the gears they're pushing on the track now are hundred and four, hundred and eight gears, you know, they're pushing massive gears on the track now. Yeah. Now Continental honestly, is uh, they have the big endurance.
0: Yeah, Continental is a totally necessary step for riders who are hoping to make a career out of it. And as you're saying, it, it's quite a Darwinian step. You know, well, plenty of riders like me take that step with dreams of going further and you realise for a multitude of reasons. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I, You know, I, I can't endure this lifestyle. I can't endure the lack of pay. I can't endure the hardship. The competition is too great. You know, there's a multitude of reasons why you don't step past that. And... But to zoom out and kind of keep the the evolution of your team, to use a, a pun on Evo Pro there, the evolution of your team, from the inception of it, from the last couple of seasons, you've had some great success. Like you touched on some of it there with feeding True, Aaron Gate, Harry Sweeney, Shane Archibald, to
1: World Tour level. Yeah, and of course, the big winner has been Wildo Whipper. Whipper please. He, he, he is a great winner. But then, you see, the big thing that has happened look. Oh, in 2021, was COVID. COVID has absolutely uh, rocked the whole evolution of cycling in Europe. Yeah, COVID has been really, really detrimental because you'd be going to a race maybe in Holland and you'd have all the costs spent, you have everything lined up, and then you're told Holland is shut down for the next two weeks, so they're left with a big hole. So um, at the end of 2019, we decided that we would... um, have a well. It was uh, in 2020. We decided we'd have a base in Belgium, so we have a service to course in a place called Marie Alta, which is about I suppose 50 minutes from Ghent. So it's in the heart of cycling country. So we're, we're right smack bang in the middle of cycling, so that would have cut down a lot on the unnecessary expense. But travel travelers, as you can imagine, travel when you've got uh, four vehicles going to a race. Like we did the tour of Serbia cross across there. It's a big deal to go there, and you have to you have to go by vehicle because of the amount of equipment you have. So that can be a big logistical problem, and that certainly COVID has has uh, has exacerbated all that.
0: And when did it become obvious to you that the search for sponsors was going to prove a difficult search for the upcoming season?
1: Uh. Well, it's always been difficult. Uh, uh, we had a sponsor lined up for last year. And they're very good people, really decent guys. But the trouble was that they um, uh, they got hit by COVID too. So they were, you know, it was inevitable. Uh, they, it was just a, a fact that, you know, they were in trouble with that. So that was a real pity. And, um, you know, then then um, it's been, it's always been a struggle to, to try and keep it going at this level. And the thing is, I mean, you can't. It's a bit like Formula One, you know. You can't drive on two wheels. You have to do the whole thing or nothing at all. Yeah. And we've had good riders, and uh, you know, we've tried to have good equipment. And of course, uh, you know, things happen, and there are eventualities. But uh, notwithstanding that, we've tried to give riders as good a chance as possible.
0: And what's the running costs on the team for the year?
1: Well, huge. Um, uh, well, I mean, if you take a gross cost, it's a seven-figure cost. Uh, to do the growth cost, then we but then we do have some good sponsors with uh, uh, who help us out with uh, marketing, nutrition are very good with the nutrition end We're working with Dolan this year on boysfield so we uh, a lot of stuff we don't get for free, but we get it for less than trade costs, and you know which is which is great, and that helps us out a lot on that um, that end of things. So, so that's where where we could. So to, could, um, to keep you, you know, guys for, on for the
0: us. road. Sorry, to keep you guys on the road right now, PJ, are you looking for a sponsor if there's someone listening or if somebody's, you know, minded oh, to get involved? I, I,
1: I, yeah, absolutely. Like we've done a lot of um uh, research and, and a lot of um uh, our own our own costumes on this. Like generally, um so cycling gives a seven to one response on on um Advertising. That's what they generally reckon. if you're clever and you do good activation, you can do a lot. Like we can bring we can bring sponsors to races in Belgium, and they can bring ten or fifteen of their customers there, and they can have a great day out, or a great time, you know, at these races and become part of the team. And it's infectious, as you know yourself. It's like a big carnival over there, and everybody's in great form, and it's a great day out. It's cheaper than bringing them to you know, uh, maybe a premiership match or something like that. They help, they'll have great fun there. And uh, we have a fantastic network of people over there who are just wonderful, wonderful people. And they'll come and they'll help us at races. And often for no cost, like they don't want to be paid. They just want to help out. And Belgians are like that. They're they're super people. They're, you know, they're standoffish, of first, But when you um, get to know them, they're the best in the world. And we have some people, like um, uh, we have a woman called Sylvie Ann who looks after our house and does everything for us, um, and we have a man called Patrick Van Steen who is the father of one of the writers, and he—they're absolutely brilliant people, hilarious and are fiercely loyal people, and it's great to see. And you know, we get a lot of encouragement from those people.
0: And there's so much crack being in. If not, someone hasn't been in the back of a team car before. You know, I've only actually ever been in the back of a team car when I've crashed out of a race. But if you haven't had a chance to be in the back of a team car, it's chaos that you wouldn't believe the excitement and the panic and the drama in the back of a team car. It's it's a fascinating place to be. Yeah,
1: it's, it's great. You know, um, as I said before, Morgan speaks, I don't know, four or something, and he's there. Even though he's deaf, he has a cochlear implant. And he's speaking to the riders on the race radios. He's listening to the commissar on their on their um, uh, channel, and he's listening to race organisers as well. You know, there's all kinds of stuff going on. So um, it really is it's, it's it's hilarious, and it's very very exciting. You know, um, and I'm driving behind it, it's, it's a basically I'd say Lewis Hamilton to get the get the uh, the goosebumps kind of driving like goes on. It's mad stuff, you know.
0: So I'd nearly say this is a story of two sides. That's the romantic side of it. And that's the side of it that deserves to continue. And then we have the side that's sprung into prominence, probably for, and this is actually a real pet peeve of mine because Evo Pro, yourself and Morgan have done such an amazing job flying the flag for Irish cycling over the past few years. And it's received almost negligible coverage from Irish cycling media or European cycling media. When I contrast that to how big a deal on post was, if you rewind four or five years ago, I'm not sure what the agenda is there. But and anyway, it just struck me that when it started coming up in newspapers, I was like, this is the first time I've actually had an awareness of EvoPro on a national media scale, and it's for negative reasons, and that was disappointing.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose you need to ask me some specifics about that because um, I, I I can't figure out how we, you know, how we became the special war. Um, I, I mean, I don't understand it. We're just two guys who like cycling and land. we know a good bit about it and we put together a team and nobody else's money except ours and our friends have gone into it. So it's not as if we have been, um, you know, milking the system, so to speak. I mean, you know, we, we're not before any Iraqis committees or, you know, we're <laughs> not being uh, uh, sanctioned by Sport Ireland. That hasn't happened much So when did the idea
0: of a partnership with Cyclone Ireland, where did that idea come from?
1: Well, that that was very simple. I had never met Liam Collins before the AGM. Actually, he introduced himself to me. And um, we were talking at lunch that day, and he was uh, informing him what you're doing. And I was telling him, I was actually going back to what we talked about earlier, 2003. I said, what we would love to be able to do is to... Um, help kids out, and he came up with the idea again. He said, "Well, could you possibly accommodate that?" And I said, "Yeah, well, at least we, like the way it is with kids now, you need to be very, very well supervised." We have a huge service to us, massively, all here, and we said, "Yeah, we, we could we could bring provincial teams over and kids teams." Like last year, we let our our really um, uh, anybody who wanted to use our premises for the cyclical season and didn't charge for it at all and a number of riders came over and rode it and they learned a lot because um, and we had vehicles there and we were able to drive them with vehicles and helpers and all kinds of stuff and so sorry to cut across you PJ for
0: context Liam Collins was at the time of this initial conversation he was the sole presidential uh, candidate for Cycling Ireland he wasn't yet Cycling Ireland president but he was standing
1: unopposed uh, well, I mean, that was that took place an hour later. I think. I uh, we were talking to the cha- the man at lunchtime, and he was asking us about that, and then he said he got in contact with us. So we had a. I mean, we were only talking at lunchtime, or 20 people talking to the guy. But that was the genesis of the whole thing. Um, what we talked about, but it was something that we were always interested in uh, doing ourselves. We always had this idea that you know this would be. Uh, uh, Clever thing to do now. We had done it before, as I say, we did it in 2003. And it was Morgan who who uh uh, helped me out there. Um, you know, when I was president, we came up with this idea. And like it it wasn't a totally new idea that we had, it was an idea that uh you know had happened but had morphed into the Kelly thing. So, So,
0: when did it go um, from uh you know an informal chat with Liam Collins to Okay, let's sit down, and we're going to make this happen. There's agreement from Liam Collins. I don't want to say Cycling Orleans in that I'm, I'm deliberately saying Liam Collins instead of Cycling Ireland. We'll get to well, that. We
1: met, we met Matt McCarroll and Liam Collins in May. I don't know. I can't remember the date. But very soon after the week after that, and we put together a working agree, a working document to see was that a was that a you know it was a goal. Now, the wasn't um, a thing which I don't have to hand. Was well, It wasn't to do so much with um, the team. It was to do more with how we could get the maximum of days of racing for uh, Irish ordinary riders. my so, I was there uh, back in 1980, and I remember I had to pay 5,000 francs for an extra slice of bread. If I for this, and plus because I'm near again, not far from where we are, and this is what I had to do in order to uh, uh, to survive them. And it was it was a, a tough regime, and I thought, well, if kids who are obviously a lot better than me can go over there and learn and decide, uh, you know, that this is this is what they're doing, I get inspired by this. But that would be a great thing. So that was kind of where it, you know. It came from, a well, Morgan, of course, went there as an amateur, and he was very good, and he won a mad load of races. And um, I think he won 15 races in one year. So they, 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 you know, he turned pro after that. So, like, he had been at the business end of stuff as well. So that was the inspiration uh, for the whole thing. Now, Liam got that. You know, he understood that. And when we talked to himself and Matt McCarroll, he was very positive about that, that he could... Um, yeah, we could bring the kids over because I don't know is there uh, an equivalent um, uh, initiative in Cyclone Ireland at the moment I, I, I don't know if there is uh, you know if there is anything uh, like that uh, there for these kids because I think that the you know the 15 year old Uncle Walsh or the 15 year old P.G. Nolan would have been thrilled to go to Belgium for a week and live in a place with professional bike riders and you know, go to two races or go on the cycle paths and just experience something different. I think it could be, it could have been inspirational for those kids.
0: Yeah, no, it, it undoubtedly is PJ. And I think that the contentious part of this for me lies around the implementation of that dream. I think most reasonable cycling fans will say that's a desired outcome. But unfortunately, when you're using taxpayers money and license payers' money, you know, it, Merits a little bit more of a deep dive into the actual agreement and what's in that, so it's not binding. Cyclone Ireland to uh, an agreement which you know isn't in its best interests, and I think that's from what I can see where the contention has arisen at the moment. So uh, I'd like to just so to,
1: what specifically.
0: So I suppose uh, uh, your back. So focusing back in on that agreement. Uh, was there a like a consultation process i've managed to get a copy of the agreement and, and actually it should be noted for our people listening that it's not a contract between evo pro and cyclinor it's a heads of agreement which you know from my uh just fast fading legal background i can remember a heads of agreement that's agreement that can be binding or non-binding kind of depending on the language used so you can bind some aspects of it could be binding if there was something relating to intellectual property or Uh, non-solicitation provisions they could be binding but generally stuff that's binding it's has to be binding in uh it's going to be contentious if it's binding if you want to bind someone a heads of agreement isn't the best documents to use it's normally acts as uh more of a intent documents to signal your intent to commit to a contract down the road so when you were drawing up this heads of agreement document so what did that consultation process look like who was involved when did it happen
1: well, more than we were involved on our side. The CEO and the president of Cyclen Ireland, then president of Cyclen Ireland, were involved on the other side. I don't know what consultation uh, they did. Certainly, other people in Cyclen Ireland didn't know about it, uh, but I don't know who knew, knew about it. I mean, you know, I I uh, I'm busy enough without. Uh, like that wasn't my side of the of the deal at all. We put up what we saw. Now, just to talk about the deal a little bit. The deal with Kathleen Collins was a right tough negotiator when we were talking to him. You know, he was saying, "Well, you know, we this can't be open-ended." Uh, and he said, "No, it can't." Well, he said, "The most that you know we could possibly put into this is uh, three hundred thousand. It has to be capped at that, and hundred thousand of that will be for bikes, which uh, are ours." Now, the bikes are costing twelve grand each. They're, that's what they cost in the shops. They were costing us. Something around five grand. Uh, so, Cycling like Ireland were going to own those bikes at the end of the year, and they could have sold them for that money or something like that. You know, so the the bikes they wouldn't have depreciated that much. Now, the the thing about the you know uh, the bikes, the, the reason why the deal suited us was because we would have had uh, not to have spent a hundred thousand euros at the start of the year on equipment because Uh, Cycling Ireland would own the equipment they would um, give us the use of it for the year or the lad on the team the use of it for the year and then um, uh, they they had it they they just got all the the bikes at the end of the year now the bit that uh, uh, suited Cycling Ireland was they had full access to our staff and our vehicles if they weren't being used and our premises and our you know our knowledge of Belgium, we could have been able to put riders into not pro races, obviously, but 1.12 races and and um, young people's races. You know uh, the newling and they could have gone to those races, and we would have known where they were. So they're all around the anyway. So some kid could have gone there for three three um, races in ten days or something, then get home and. You know, obviously, they did have to bring their own bikes over. Like we weren't looking after the travel part. Of it. But when they got there, we could could have looked after it. You know, we calculated that there's about 13,000 TRS days of racing they could have used. Now, even if it was only 5,000 days, if you take 5,000 days and divide it by 200,000, that's 40 quid per race per day. And put it in perspective, if you ride for any of 50,000 euros per rider per race day. So <laughs> it's a fraction of the cost that it would cost uh, people for, so, like it was, it was a minimal cost, in like in Ireland. And uh, I just thought it was giving a great base to those young boys and girls. And we had, um, we had also agreed that we would hire a, uh, Arab. we would uh, take on a second uh, base because we didn't want boys and girls being in the same house because we just had, you know, they're 16 or 18 years of age. Maybe this is not the right atmosphere. So, so we actually had, we had eyes on a. a a place quite pro- not that close by, but uh, a bit away, that uh, you know the, the girls could stay in. So we wanted to keep everything proper, and we had two uh, women who were both middle-aged Belgian married women, and they were the ideal mothers for the house. They were going to look after the house houses for us, and you know they're tough people. They weren't going to have obviously you know discipline and propriety was the order of the day, and we had to.
0: You know, we were very, very strict on that. But uh, that's I, what we were. I get, for. PJ. Uh, I, I get a lot and I, a lot of what you're saying there resonates with me. But back, I one bit, I I do disagree with you on that. You're saying there was a minimum cost to cycling Ireland on it. So, having read through the agreement, for me, I must have read the agreement no, 20 No, there's a times.
1: Maximum, the maximum
0: cost to work in Well, no, there's not. I, from, I found the agreement very, very confusing. You know, and as someone who spent seven years in university and a professional education in law, I found it massively confusing, vague, and open-ended. And it, it's obviously my interpretation of it. It'd need to go to a, you know, a commercial court to get a proper opinion on it. But I found that that cost on this could be anything from... 100 grand to 500,000.
1: Well,
0: that's not in in the document that I've read.
1: Maybe it it wasn't, it wasn't, um, uh, but I I mean, that was the agreement between because I actually talked to Liam Collins at the time about that. And I mean, I, I, I remember writing it down and saying, you know, I can't go beyond that. And the real cost would have been. Two hundred thousand. Um, it could have been actually less than that, but it could have been two hundred thousand. But it's just. why said,
0: not? Why not when you're drafting this agreement? Why not draft a concrete draft agreement. agreement? Or when the you know the consultation process is happening between EvoPro and Cycling Ireland, why not draft something more concrete that Liam Collins can bring to the board? Because the timeline on this is important as well. The document uh, between Evo Pro and Cycling Ireland is signed by Liam Collins and the CEO, and that's the 24th of June. But the first the Cycling Ireland
1: board... No, it's 21st of December, I right think.
0: Sorry, yeah, excuse me, 21st of December. But the first the Cycling Ireland board heard about this was the 10th of January, which is, you know... Well, like,
1: I, I don't know that because, I, I, you know, I'm not privy to what uh, consultation level, but, I mean... Chief executive and the president signed something, and uh, you know I would have thought that that was, you know, to me, uh, you know, that sounded like you know that there was at least some level of of uh, um, how to say authority uh, to the particular document.
0: Yeah, you would have now, hoped it, they it, would have worked, ran that no, up the proper channels. No Sorry, you would have hoped
1: they. Would I, have... I don't know about that. Yeah, you know I don't know about that. The, 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 the other thing to uh, make sure is. We never got a penny from cycling Ireland. Uh, not a penny from cycling Ireland. In fact, our, um, our registration documents were delayed for a couple of weeks and we lost a number of races because um, they hadn't uh, processed our bond, which was in their offices sitting there for two weeks. So, um, you know, I, I don't uh, know about the efficiency within the office of and Ireland or how it goes on. Yeah, but uh, certainly that did happen because... I had sent it by registered mail, and uh, it wasn't processed for, for two weeks, so which meant that our registration was it was uh, delayed.
0: So my understanding of Cycling Ireland and you know and stuff that you weren't to know on your end, and you know I'm putting myself in your shoes. If I'm acting with the president and the CEO of a federation, I would assume they have authority to bind the Cycling Ireland into a contract. But it's my understanding that they actually didn't have authority to bind Cycling Ireland into a contract, that that was something that needed board approval. And so they'd signed it when they shouldn't have signed it without taking legal opinions and didn't present well, it, it. was to a
1: heads of agreement. Now, you just said a few minutes ago, it was a heads of agreement, that it wasn't a contract per se. Yeah, so yeah. That's what it was. It was a heads of agreement. So, like they did, you know, if you, I mean, I don't know, I'm not a legal person, I'm only a farmer, but I, would thought that you know uh, subsequent to a consultation process, whatever that was, that that it was like I don't know why uh, people are so against this whole project. Uh, fundamentally, like you know, it seems like it's not an existential threat to cycling Ireland. It's merely a, a deal to get young kids to come to Belgium to to race, and it certainly wasn't going to break cycling Ireland. I mean. Somebody put up a very interesting comment on, on one of those social media things and was showing to me. I thought I wonder how much was spent in uh, going after this deal to try and, and stop it because I don't um I don't know but it, it certainly the, the amount of heavy hitters that come after me are phenomenal. And, <laughs> yeah. Why why would I be I I was called into a meeting and Le Man went to a meeting in Le Man's solicitor and I was told it was a team of corporate lawyers working on this. And then I get a phone call. I'm I'm out reading cows, and I get a phone call, and uh, it's an urgent uh, call from Matt McCarroll. And I said, "Okay, well, just give me a half an hour to get this cows fed." So I went inside, and there were there were three guys from a some committee in Ireland. Some people I didn't, you know, some of the people I didn't know, and they told me that I a forensic accountant had been appointed to me from BDO Simpson. I forget our was I name mean, I forget the guy's name, but anyway, um, uh, uh, that it was urgent that our, you know, our, our, our registration was was in question, and all kinds of stuff about our our company that we used and all of this, and, and i I didn't know whether to be flattered or intimidated. I was actually intimidated because I've never had a friend get appoint to the point me before, and. You know, all we have done was so try to run a cycling team so what the existential threat to cycling Ireland was I don't know
0: but I think if you rewind this PJ and you think back to your time when you were a president if somebody or, or not even a president I'm thinking about even me as a license payer to cycle in Ireland and wondering how my license pay gets feed, and other people that are out there that are uh, pay their license and wondering how that gets used I think there's a legitimate expectation from license holders and taxpayers who are funding Cycling Ireland that there is due diligence in any contracts they're doing like you know if you're looking at this and it doesn't seem like there was any legal consultation on either Matt McCarroll's side or Liam Collins' side prior to signing this I would expect to see tax clearance certs I would expect to see a full tender process insurance certificates full financials it's a very vague short document that's, you know, it's six pages, including the signature page, and much of it's bullet-pointed. Uh, it just doesn't seem a comprehensive enough document for it to buy in cycling Ireland for the sum we're talking
1: about. Yeah, it's probably more comprehensive than the grant application that has been put to the arts committee. But anyway, I know, and, um, and this
0: is the problem, isn't it? And this is why it's such a difficult situation because, on the one hand, we're putting this forensic accounting lens on this deal, and when you put a forensic accounting lens on anything, you're going to find grievances, you're going to find problems. As I said at the outset, you know, my dad run the local football team. You know, who paid for the diesel to the match last Sunday? I don't know who paid for the diesel. You know, it, it came from somewhere. People donate sets of jerseys. It's how these things run. And if you put a forensic accountant onto his football team, it's going to put up problems.
1: And I, I well, think- There's a more fundamental question than all that. I mean, did the, whoever objected to this and all that Did they think it was fundamentally, uh, you know, a wrong idea? Did they think we were a bunch of bandits who were going to um, rape sites in Ireland financially? fact, is, we weren't, we were um, uh, were just doing our our business. All somebody had to do was ask us these questions, uh, you know, and uh, and not, uh, uh, you know, impose or intimidate this type of spending. And the other question is, I mean, how much was spent investigating... uh, our little team so we only a little speck on the on the lot of humanity like I don't understand why a uh, sledgehammer was used to practice no I'm an amenable guy I'll talk to anyone but whatever the reason for it uh, you know or whatever this was about was it that the money was going to uh, threaten other activities of like in Ireland if it was well we could have you know, fair enough. If there's a judgment call on that this is bad value for money or that other uh, items are bad value for money, uh, you know, what was the audit process and all of that? I mean, surely in any company, what you do is you do a return on investment and you see what what is the return on investment in this. Our, it's very simple. All our return on investment was giving these kids a go and giving those better young fellows a chance to go and... Um, you know, uh, improve themselves. Like, we have young fellows in our team that are spectacular. You take young McDonkey for instance. Tom McDonkey. He's a really, really good bike rider. But he's a very young 24 or 25 years of age. And he won't be good until he's another two years gone. Now, he's not going to get that chance unless he, you know, uh, in the French Division 1 team because he's going to have to ride for some the next big star in France. Um, we were at a race the Tour of Vendée last year and McDonnell rode really well, and he was in the, the 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 racing group the whole day, and it was an absolute kicking match. And um, we finished the 200 kilometer race. And I had a call with a fellow from France and a fellow from Italy, and we I was talking on the phone, and my French isn't good enough to deal with that. And I called McDonfrey over Road, but listen, will you talk to this guy because I want to. <laughs> and this fellow, after 200 kilometers, goes and has a fluent French. Yeah, he's a good French speaker. And, yeah, and and they're going, wow, you know this is a class act, and you've got fellows like Feely there who's come back to our team this year. There, Feely, he's good enough to be world tour. He really is. He is absolutely class, that fella. and you know he wins twenty four races in Ireland in in, in 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 two years. And these are the things that matter. And what it is is like, do is it what? Putting money into these guys to give them a career. Now we wouldn't actually even interested that much in them because we could survive, you know, uh, uh, ourselves. Uh, but uh, these guys, they actually deserve a chance. And like, there's, there's a whole bunch of other stuff we could have done for, for, uh, or we are trying to do at the moment. We have a bunch of other fellows. Now some of them might make it. Some of them will. And but at least they'll have had the chance. And it. It's giving them um, a holistic effort to try and move on. And, you know, maybe they can go. Well, one of our lads is in, uh, well, at least one of them, because I know him fairly well, he's your nephew. He's in um, uh, uh, third level education. You know, he's doing really well. And yet he's able to race as well. And you're thinking, wow, this is maybe there's a new model there on cycling. If you take the likes of Ryan Mullen, Ryan lives in Manchester with his wife and he flies over and back to races. Whereas, Previously, it was that you stayed in some uh, place in, you know, wherever it was. And you... Uh, but if you have a different mindset or a different, you know... If, if life is slightly different for you and you're married and you want to live in a, a different country, you can still be a top-class pro. like Cavendish, uh, you know, he but, lives in the Isle of Man. But I think...
0: Sorry to cut across you, PJ. I, I think the issue is we all agree that the Evo Pro should exist... I think the, the issue that's getting contentious is, should Cycling Ireland be the, the lifeline for Evo Pro? You know, Evo Pro, I would well, love...
1: some, No, no, you're missing the point there. You're missing the point totally. The idea of this academy, and it wasn't even that, it was that the, the plus for Cycling Ireland, the kicker for us was that we didn't have to buy the bikes at the start of the year. It meant our cash flow was improved by 100,000 quid at the start of the year. That's what it meant um, for us. For, would you have done so it different, PJ?
0: Knowing what a... no you know now, would what what would you have done different?
1: Um, I probably wouldn't have had anything to do with it because uh uh and we I would have gone straight to the provinces and said, lads, this is what we need to do. Uh you know, we can we can do this. If you guys want to pay so much per rider per day, they can come over here and they can do it like that. And you know, there's none of this um, you know, uh about all of this. That's what I would have done differently because it wouldn't have mattered to... Uh, like, we've gone and bought the bikes ourselves now in the meantime. So, uh, you know, we're, we're okay. The lads can actually ride their bikes. Now, it's been a massive, massive struggle. And I don't know if we'll make it through the year. We, we, we'd love to. And I think that if we fail, there will not be another team at our level for a long, long time uh, because they won't get to the races, apart from the money involved. They won't get the invitations to the races that we get. We know everybody, and we can get the invitations to the races. We th- we know the suppliers, and maybe if somebody comes along with a mad load of money and, uh, and throws it at it, but they have a job getting the invitation. Well, I mean, I I um, think you know Aqua Blue was unfortunate. It kind of um, uh, you know it it, it went um, you know it, it went a bit bit wrong, but maybe it didn't have. You know, maybe it didn't have the the guidance that it needed. Uh, it went in big now. And, and, and in fairness to them, they, they really did try and they had some good results and all of that. But this thing was unfortunate. And I, I'd commend anybody that puts the money into this book.
0: But you know what, looking back, me looking back at this and going, how would I make this deal happen? Like with hindsight, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. But Liam Collins shouldn't have been near this deal. I know he's president of Cycling Orleans. But you've been president of Cycle Ireland as well, and you know a lot of stuff that's been going on in Cycle Ireland that shouldn't be going on for years. Some of it's going to come out in rockets and quarries next week. There haven't, you know, those old high-performance directors had to step down. Uh, there was a high-performance director for over a decade. I'm not sure how connected to that whole thing he was, but it's 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 a it's a institution that's had a lot, a lot of problems, and it's in the limelight yeah, well, a lot. But I disagree with you about that. But no one all that PJ. No. Would, or Would you not have said Liam Collins needs to step away from this because Liam Collins? There's a there's a saying in law that says uh, justice must not just be done; justice must be seen to be done. So even if there's no bias with Liam Collins's girlfriend's son being on the team, the fact that that connection is there, in the backdrop of the you know the allegations against Cyclone New Orleans, the smarter thing would have been for Liam Collins to say. Look, this is a great deal yeah. for everyone. Let me hand it over and stay twenty foot away from this, and somebody else do this deal, so I, so no one has this shit to throw at me after the deal is done. Because Keen, because Keen Kyo well, is a um, great bike rider um, and deserves to be on the team. So I hate that he's ever getting dragged into the middle of this.
1: Yeah, well, the first time that uh, lean or Keen Kyo's name was mentioned in the context of Evo Pro was last. 12 months, I know what I, whenever it was, I was doing the commentary for the National Track Championships and I was, Morgan Fox was away in France and I was watching this young fella riding around and I just liked the way he rode his bike and I said, you want to keep an eye on this fella to Morgan, I there's a new fella called Kyo and uh, he needs to be you know, he needs to be looked at, because I think he, he, there's a bit about him now the fact that um, um this Sunday Times took that swipe at Kinka. I just thought it was gutter journalism because the lad, I wasn't aware of any relationship he had with anybody, and uh, Morgan had picked him to go on the team. He was he was talked about in the middle of the year, and we had we had a, a good few chats with him, and uh, I thought he was a lovely young fella. I'd only talked to him a couple of times, but Morgan had talked to him a lot, and he. He's a grand uncle and, and he can ride his bike as he's well, a bike really well. He's a good bike rider. He's a good bike rider. And that's why it's yeah, shit that and, he's and, ever
0: getting pulled into the centre of this well, because he doesn't
1: deserve well, yeah, that. Yeah, there's nothing, well, I mean, uh, Morgan Fox didn't know that he, uh, anything about, any relationship he had. I certainly didn't know but we picked him, we, we picked him way before any of this happened. Like, that fellow was on our radar from last July and we'd been talking to him. So, like, that's, you know, it's superior It's It's, it's ridiculous, you know. Um, it really is, and it, it makes me sad that people will point, do that. It, it just makes me sad that you know. That's the level. That if, if people want to discredit us, if people want to make us have to be some kind of bandits. And they, that's all they can pull out of that quiver. Good luck, at, You know you're, you're really wasting your time, man. It's got it's gutter journalism, you know.
0: And I suppose the other ones that have been uh, thrown at you, and I'm not sure what the agenda is behind some of them, or the truth in some of them. But I have heard the you know disgraced former FAI chief executive John Delaney linked to the deal as well. Is there any truth in that, or you know well, what was
1: his? He wasn't linked to any deal. What happened? Um, we have had four sports agency, uh look for sponsors for us and uh, John Delaney has a sports agency in Britain and he was one of them uh, you know I talked to him and he he um, might have been able to get us some some sponsorship as you know I go back to the thing at the start you talked about the football team in Tontara. Um, you know you're always looking for sponsors so we have crawled the country I uh, I remember talking I think in one period, I talked to 55 Irish companies to try and see what they would be interested in talking to us. We've been to, uh, I, I went to three meetings in, uh, one in Amsterdam, one in the East, one in Monaco to meet these people uh, who were interested in sponsoring us and they were all, they were, you know, I just didn't like the idea of what, what they were talking about and they were, they were bandits to prove it in the end. So I've been meeting people week in, week out over the past three years to see what they and some of the deals have been, you know, for equipment, some of the deals have been for cash and they haven't worked out. Uh and COVID was a huge thing in this. So John Delaney was just one of four agencies. We also met on we met um Sporting Dorse and we met 10AO. And um, you know, they've had uh, some the toast outfits have had their problems as well. But uh, it's nothing to do with us so we've met them all and none of them have been able to come up with a, a, a sponsor for us so that's uh, John Delaney's involvement and that's, that's about it
0: and I suppose the last piece of mud that has been thrown is uh, it's been a serious mud slinging contest here PJ for for you know well, such a wholesome I
1: haven't thrown any mud at anybody and I haven't taken any money off anybody and I haven't been before any roster committee. And, you know, so it's in part of way. So whoever was firing this mud. So what was the last one there? The last and one's,
0: so? a, 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 you know, I, I don't want to name them because I, I don't know. I, I've Look, I, I probably should name them, but I'm not going to. There's a bunch of your ex-riders came out and they're putting Instagram posts and stuff up. And I think the Sunday Times covered it this week as well. And the Sunday Times actually, in another piece of gutter journalism, had texts completely out of context from Morgan replying to these guys. But there's apparently an allegation that there's quite a lot of overdue back money due to mechanics people have helped out and riders from last season.
1: Yeah, we we owe uh, some money to uh, a few people. Um, So we do. And yeah, that's a fact. It's been a struggle the whole time, but we have been paying people off uh, all, uh, all the time. You know, it's... And uh, you know, it uh again an existential threat to our, um, our our little team. Well, that will be, you know, uh, you know that's that's always been a struggle. But we've been trying and trying with our own money um, to 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 pay people off. Like we have had riders twice last year. We had riders steal bikes and go and go off in the middle of the night and uh, uh, take their bikes with with them. One of them I caught up with and I. I um, threatened him with the Belgian police and uh, he left his bike behind him but um, he was gone and he, he said he was owed money and the fact is these guys never produce receipts for the money they're owed it's rarely uh, you know uh, sorry So some of them do um, but most of them don't and they say that we're, we owe the money and we're going yeah just show us the receipts will you um, I mean this guy said he was owed money and he was owed 85 euros for petrol so he said that was the only thing he came up with yet he was starting off with a 10,000 euro bike and you own. this is what you're up against you know we've had a lot of stuff go missing through various uh, you know uh, different iterations so it's it's um it's not all a, a, a one way street and you know if we get receipts to that we'll certainly try and deal with them and uh, listen I apologise to anybody who's owed money I will certainly do my best Uh to pay everybody and we pretty much have if you think of all the like what's gone through a million a year uh, I think the amount that people are owed is a tiny tiny fraction of that and I again I apologise if, if that is the case PJ to finish because up we've learned a lot of lessons too on the way to,
0: to finish up on this uh, can you pull this out of the bag you know is this still whether it's a Cycle in Ireland deal is there any hope left with that or is that completely gone
1: so what we will do i like to uh, like like when, when when you get people from the national organization contacting uh, people trying to trying uh contracting former people saying that you know the journalists working on this and um, you are know, just going, well, do I need to hassle? I, I, we would love to work with the federation or the the provincial uh, uh, people and do it on an ad hoc basis and people could come over like we would love to see the kids get a chance to come over and and, um, you know, uh, race with it. Like the, our club, uh, Navan Road Club is where I've always been. And we had, I think we're the, probably the only club ever to have our own full-time paid development officer. And uh, we've had a system going for the last 20-odd years whereby uh, kids come from 5 year old to 15-year-olds. And they come every week to, And we teach them things like square racing and, and you know how to knock each other off the bike and fun and little little races and all this. And in our past twenty years, three riders from our club have turned professional. So it's just four hundred clubs in Ireland which there are, and three of them become professional over twenty years. That's a fair old stream of talent coming through. And like Navan is not any more talented than anywhere else in the country. That that talent is available throughout the country, and that's all we want to do is give these kids a chance and the very, very best ones will come through and, you know, they'll have a great time. The Bennets, the mullins of this world, they'll come through and they'll they'll have a, you know, they'll have a great time. Like, Sam Bennett was no mad shakes as an underage rider. He was a good rider, but then he comes along and he blossoms into one of the best riders on the planet and Tarek Wheelers has done a great job with him, you know. So, like, this is what my vision for the likes of evil Poe is to give people a chance to go uh, to a higher level, like the McDonkeys and the Fees of this world. Because like they'll get sacrificed in a lot of other systems, whereas we can give them uh, the care and attention that they need to do to be um, greater bike riders. If you take cycling in general, like the UCI, I think, have made a huge, huge problem in creating the under-23 category. Because the kid who doesn't... Mature until he's 25 or 26 is on the scrap heap. I and mean, where does he go after uh, after 23 unless he gets onto a continental team? You know, he, he could. You take the the likes of Ludo Dirixen. Ludo Dirixen turned pro at 31 and he went and won the Tour of Flanders. Like this is, you know, there is should be no age limit because uh, if you look at the way New Zealand rugby play, they play to weight instead of age. You know. So the heavy kids play together and the lighter kids play together. So they don't have a, an 80-kilo fella sitting on a 40-kilo fella and a half killing them. Um, and that's rugby. But, you know, cycling should be the same. There should be more of a holistic approach to how these kids are, are brought on, even to the, the type of... so Bennett was, you know, he was a long time in the, in the amateur and pole ranks before he became a big deal. I know he's one of the biggest deals on the planet.
0: You know, and I debated it even is doing it. this podcast, PJ, because there's there's good people on both sides of the chasm. And chatting to you, you know, you can't but be touched by your love for the sport. Your, you know, your vibrance for the sport is infectious. And, you know, I know that neither you or Morgan have taken a penny out of the team, and quite the opposite, have put a lot of your own money into funding the team. I do think it's flawed. I do think in parts it's imperfect, But I do think it's a worthwhile pursuit and I do think I would love to see it. I think it's necessary to see it, whether Cyclone Ireland funded or it's a private fund that comes on board. I really hope that Evo Pro stays. There's a lot of good people involved. There's a lot of good riders involved and we need that pathway as a, you know, as a nation. So Thank you for joining me, PJ. It's been a fascinating chat. It's been uh, cleared up a lot of the misconceptions. And I, I think that's why I did have that reluctance to do this podcast, because there's good people on either side of the chasm, and I didn't want to offend anyone. It's a difficult subject to tackle without offending anyone, but I think short form media, you know, small little 500 word counts in national newspapers or online publications, they weren't doing justice to this debate, so thanks for taking the time to chat for me for almost
1: an no, hour. No, and, and uh, one thing I will say is that I haven't fallen out with anybody and, uh, you know, people have said to me, are you going to see in Ireland? I've been a member of in Ireland or uh, the NTA for. Uh, for This is my 48th consecutive license. I actually love this sport. I would like to see it, it progress. I hate to see the controversy, especially, and, and it makes me sad that there's a controversy in which I'm involved.
0: Roadman, thank you for listening to today's episode of the Roadman Cycling Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm asked all the time how listeners can support the podcast. Well, there's a number of ways you can support the podcast. As I mentioned at the outset, Patreon is an easy way to support it. But if you don't feel like subscribing on Patreon or you can't afford to subscribe on Patreon, a really easy way to support the podcast is simply sharing it with a friend. Take the episode link and sharing it into WhatsApp groups, into club Facebook groups, and just helping to spread the roadman Ward. you can follow me and you can find me over on instagram our handle on instagram it's roadman.cycling or we have a new tiktok account where we're taking extracts from the podcast and posting them over there on roadman cycling podcast is the handle there really for all things roadman cycling the mission control is our main website which is newly launched and that's on roadmancycling.com You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. They make such a huge difference. Or if you're not on Apple, you can leave the review anywhere where you listen to the podcast. Roadmen, have a great day and ride safe.